week of March 27th, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 578, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. I'm not wearing a shirt. I thought that might boost our ratings. I thought that might, you know, bring us some attention, like Timothy Chalamet. Oh, well, do you want to tell people who you are? Because the I part, you know, we're, we're, this is this is all audio, right? You know that, oh, right? Oh, I'm yeah. in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm Michael Gilson. I'm not wearing a shirt. Okay. Um, are you wearing a Chanel tuxedo? Because I think that's what <laughs> Timothy Chalamet was wearing. <laughs> but no shirt. Uh, well, anyway. and, and, and where was he wearing this? The Oscars. The Oscars. Okay. That, that's, the Academy that's, Awards. Everybody's forgotten. I, I, I can guarantee won. you, nobody's talking about Timothy Chalamet today. I thought he'd won the Oscars, but apparently, no. There was a, there were 15 rounds, and they weren't done yet. Uh, but anyway, oh. uh, tell us what we're going to talk about this week. Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, I guess, well, let's, let's put it this way. We are broadcasting live from the after parties. I mean, Kansas has made the Final Four. So did Duke. Oh, wait. No, wait. Uh, actually, that's basketball. By the way, you should listen to my College Hoops podcast because... It's fantastic. You listen to it, Michael, don't you? Oh, God, it's great. Yeah, I mean, rate and review it on iTunes, but don't check it out just yet. We've got a big show for you. We've got box office, of course. We've got an update on the war in Ukraine and how it's impacting the entertainment business. And the Vikings are conquering streaming, but not the, you know, you, well, you'll, you'll see. Okay. On Inside Baseball, we're going to look at the music business where a lot of data has been released for the year 2021. Apparently, streaming is big and ads generate a lot of cash. Who knew? But the really big story is the Academy Awards, as we alluded to. And we've got awards expert Ann Thompson of Thompson on Hollywood. And of course, she's the editor at large at IndieWire. She's going to stop by and give us all the backstage scoop. And by the way, the front stage scoop, I guess, the the actual in the room scoop. And, and the, the room stage where scoop. She'll give all the scoop. Yes. Well, of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. It was an exciting week. I thought we were going to have an Indian film on top of the worldwide charts for the first time in a while, if not forever, as far as I can tell. But no, the number one movie around the world is The Batman. Thank you. I assumed it was the Batman because you paused and I was like, wait, is this my moment? <laughs> it is indeed. It made $75 million this week. It's at $673 million worldwide. The only question that remains about the Batman, which is certainly profitable, is will they yank it from theaters as soon as possible? Or will they let it play out and make as much money as possible? I would vote for the latter. And you're and talking number, about the fact that it's going gonna, it's gonna to head on over to HBO Max. Well, it can. It can head over to HBO Max. It doesn't have to. I Correct. think there's more value in letting the, the movie that, hit a billion idea. dollars. Yeah. That's the idea. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. You better see it while you can. No, no, no. No, that's, that's, that's not what that means. That's not the idea of that. It's, they can move it over after 45 days, and they'd be stupid too. If it's still making good money, why cut its leg out some money? Let it make money at the box office. Don't like... Don't tell them, oh, it's going to go to HBO. So you can't watch it. Going to HBO means it'll be free if you have HBO Max. And they can keep it in theaters. But once it's on HBO Max, you've really cut the legs out from under a movie. So I just think if it's a big hit and it's making big money, for the love of God, let it keep, you know, racking it up. Well, I think we're in <laughs> vehement agreement. If it's not a big hit, yeah, after 45 days, take it right there. That's the point of it to me, not to take a movie that's still grossing 10 plus million dollars a week and to say, ah, let's pull it. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. 
But anyway, we have an Indian film at number two around the world. A big, big opening week for RRR. This is an Indian Telugu language action flick. Uh, remember the Baharubali, that movie, and Baharubali 2, which were big, huge blockbusters. Same director. This is a new movie. It cost about $72 million to make. It opened up to $65 million on its opening week. Just a little titch shy of the Batman uh, assuming nothing big is opening next week, this could be the number one movie around the world next week. Uh, but a big, big opening for that film. It even made $9 million in North America. It almost topped the charts here. Except we had some big new movies, including The Lost City, Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe in this sort of romancing the stone type action adventure romance flick. That opened to $35 million, mostly from North America. Here's my question to you, Sperling. They say this movie costs $75 million to make. Really? Are you serious? $75 million. That must not include any of their salaries. <laughs> that's no, a reported I mean, budget. Well, that's I a reported budget. Maybe they got yeah. $5 million with a big back end or something. Yeah, or like certain performance bonuses where it was, hey, if it hits a certain level that you pretty much assume it's going to hit unless it's a complete flop, then you'll get a big bonus. But yeah, that does shock me that it was, I, I, if you would have said $125 million, I would have said, okay, okay, I could see that, yeah. or $100 million. But yeah. that last $25 million, that would be all their pay. <laughs> exactly. Well, but it's opened up strongly and hopefully everybody will be happy once all the money is counted. At number four is Uncharted, the Tom Holland flick that made another $20 million. It's at $360 million worldwide. Uh, then we have a Japanese uh, animated flick based on the manga and the TV show and all the other stuff. It's called Jujutsu Kaitsen. Oh, Jujutsu Kaitsen. Oh, uh, $20 million this week. It's at $165 million worldwide. Big hit in Japan. Now it's turning into a big hit. In North America. Then we have You know, I actually Indian- saw a billboard mm-hmm. for this movie over the weekend. I was like, yeah. wow, look, there's a billboard for that movie. Go figure. Yeah, no, it's a bit open big. Yeah, it was, you know, in top 10. And right below that is The Kashmir Files, another Indian drama that made $14 million this week, a very strong hold. It's at a, just about $40 million worldwide. Then we have Sing 2 opening up in some more territories. It made another $11 million. It's going to hit the $400 million mark in a week or two. Uh, we have Moonfall that will not hit the $400 million mark. The Roland Emmerich flick, disaster flick, is a bit of a disaster. Made $10 million this week. It's at $61 million worldwide. Even accounting for COVID, uh, this is underperforming for sure. But we've got some other big action flick guys ahead of him. Michael Bay has a new movie, Ambulance. That made another $9 million last week. It's at $13 million in counting. DreamWorks has an animated flick coming here. It's The Bad Guys. Uh, getting pretty good reviews. That made $9 million. It's at $17 million worldwide and counting, but a lot of territory to go. And then we have Dog. Channing Tatum's got two movies on the charts this week. Dog made another $5 million. That's at $70 million and counting. So, you know, that's a, a good week at the box office. A lot of stuff. And in, in limited release, this is pretty cool. The Michelle Yao sci-fi comedy, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's a comedy movie about the multiverse. It opened in 10 theaters and it had a 50,000 per theater average. So it took in over $500,000. I love Michelle Yao. She's a big worldwide superstar. I don't think of her as opening up big movies in North America, but she certainly did brought them in for limited release on this movie. So that's great to see. Whoever Michelle Yao's publicist is needs a raise. Because this person has gotten her on the cover of Hollywood Reporter to uh, pieces all over, you know, in the New York Times, L.A. Times, 
she is literally everywhere. She was in the New York Times magazine. She was, I was just shocked at how, like everywhere I turned, she was there. It's smart to open, it's smart to open movies in March. You know, when you get away from the big boys, you can get a lot of oxygen. Everybody needs something to write about. She is a major talent. She's a, a big draw, but in some of my favorite movies, I really like her a lot. And, you know, she's bringing visibility to this movie that otherwise would have gotten lost in the shuffle. It opened up this up in October, November. It wouldn't be getting nearly the attention it is right now. Another film that's not getting so much attention, but doing quite well, is The Outfit. This is a movie about a tailor for the mob set in the UK. It's an independent British film, and it stars Mark Rylance, one of the great actors of all time, truly. I've seen him on stage a number of times. He's just a remarkable actor. I saw it got reviewed. It made pretty good review. Everybody's polite to it, at least. Some really liked it. Some like, it's okay, but Mark Rylance is great. Um, there you go. And I just suddenly realized this movie has made $2.7 million in North America. That's a lot of money for a movie like this. That's, that's quite a good job. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, I would love to see this film. I just haven't had a chance to, to you know, actually go. I've been traveling and, you know, I, I look forward to seeing it. I haven't even seen big films like Belfast. Oh, the Batman. <laughs> we'll get that down. Don't you worry. And in China, if you want to see the new Keanu Reeves movie, good luck. Keanu yeah, Reeves well, you know, that's what happened. Did he, when did he do this? Because you say he performed at some, some uh, Tibet 35th show. annual Tibet House Benefit Concert. That's right. So they just had him, one of his movies opening up, The Matrix Resurrection. So that got out in China. But he was at the 35th annual Tibet House Benefit Concert here in the United States. China was not happy. And they've erased him. From the media, literally. Like, like, no movies, no TV shows, no appearances. Uh, search for his name on their equivalent to Google, and you get zero results. That means upcoming movies like John Wick Chapter 4, which co-stars Donnie Yen, an obvious play to a terrific, talented action star, but that's clearly also seeing the Asian market thinking, hey, we can make inroads into China. Well, forget about that. You know, I'm going to bide you right now. I just want to see what happens if I type in Keanu Reeves. How do you spell Keanu Reeves? K-E-A-N-U. Oh, you know what? Well, I yes, guess when I'm in the U.S., I get it. Yeah, you're not in China, so that's different. Uh, you're not behind the, uh, uh, what do they call it? The bamboo wall. The bamboo wall. <laughs> the digital iron curtain. Yeah, the, the, yeah the, the great firewall of China. Right. So from the relatively minor stuff that impacts Hollywood, we have the war in Ukraine, the Russian attack and invasion of Ukraine continues. Obviously, much bigger things are happening, but it does have impacts on the entertainment biz. You heard about it on the Oscars last night. Um, but Ukrainian producer Denis Ivanov is in Kiev and he slams film festivals for screening any Russian movies. He's under attack right now. God bless him. I wouldn't say he's wrong or right. We have a slightly different take, or at least I do, on what the best way going forward right now is. But I wouldn't say he was wrong. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with what he's calling for. But on the other hand, The Guardian has a profile of Ukrainian director Sergei Loznitsa, and he has very different views about it. He talks about people who have risked their lives in Russia to condemn the government and make movies that are, you know, anti-fascist uh, or anti-Putin, whatever you want to call it. And so he thinks they should be celebrated and lifted up. It's not an easy answer, but we know that they're all doing what they can to keep the uh, attack on Ukraine uppermost in the world's mind. Not hard to do right now since it's so ongoing and so frightening. And Spotify, they have made a decision, not waving the flag and saying, we're doing this to be patriotic and praise the Ukrainians. I think they're being more forthright here. They've suspended all service for their app in Russia. 
that they said before, we don't want to cut off our service. We were stopping taking payments. We weren't doing paid subscriptions, but we felt people should still have access to stuff like podcasts and other things that might give them information they wouldn't otherwise get. However, these new Russian laws that have been passed, like you can't say war. It's not a war in Ukraine. It's a peace action or whatever they think it's called. Special uh, military that, operation. Come on, right. Mike. Everybody knows yeah. that's a special yeah. military operation. Right. And so that has made podcasts and their employees who are in Russia vulnerable to arrest. So they've suspended all service for their app in Russia. But they've been forthright about why. They haven't tried to turn this into like, oh, look what we're doing. We're so good. It's like, no. We felt it was important to get info out, but at this point, it's too risky for our employees. And the international Emmys, uh, Ukrainian producer Denise Ivanov would like this. They have ruled all Russian TV shows ineligible this year. So it's a hot mess. It's ugly. It's awful. Um, you know, and talk about petty. You know, we're going to go from the war in Ukraine <laughs> to the Academy Awards. What, what could put it into focus in terms of, I think one of the people who is involved in one of the nominees for the shorts category said, of course, we were indignant, angry, furious about them saying these would be shown off air and there'd be a snippet on air and it felt so obnoxious and vile and horrible. It was an outrage. And then he said, then, you know, Russia attacked Ukraine and it all seemed a little petty. <laughs> doesn't mean he felt they made the right decision or he doesn't want to fight it, but it helps keep it in perspective. So we are too, but we're going to talk about the nonsense and the silliness of the Academy Awards, won't we? In fact, Michael, it wouldn't be the Academy Awards, as certainly all of our listeners know, without boring speeches, beautiful outfits, and a visit from our friend Ann Thompson, the awards guru, the creator of Thompson on Hollywood and editor-at-large over at IndieWire. She always brings us the backstage scoop about what was being, what was really going on behind the scenes, and we're delighted to have her with us today. Ann, 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 uh, thank you for joining us. I mean, I, I, I guess, I, I don't even want to know what you're, what, you were in the room where it happened. I was. I was. And that means that that everybody in the room where it happened was looking at their phones when poor Amir Questlove Thompson, you know, made his his lovely uh I had to catch up with it later. I mean, it's just it's so sad that it hijacked the whole rest of the Oscar night. Well, that's why we're talking about, of course, Will Smith and Chris Rock. Our question to you is, I have two. One, do you want to talk about that at the end and give focus on all the other things that have gotten lost in the shuffle and save that for the end? Or do you want to get it out of the way? And two, you voted in the Sight and Sound poll in 2012. Here's a random question, but I just remembered that. And I saw your list of your 10 favorite films of all time. And I wondered, are you voting on it again in 2022? If they ask me. <laughs> oh, well, cool. I hope they do. So would you like to talk about the, 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 the assault first or last? Well, it is the news story of, of, uh, of the Oscars. And of course, what's so sad about it is that it does take away from everything else that we should be talking about. Um, it, it's never happened, um, that kind of uh, fisticuffs, altercation, fracas, whatever Assault. you want to call it. Assault. You know? I mean, there. It makes the uh, it makes Sachin Littlefeather or the moonlight glitch uh, with the envelope or the, the streaker, streaker. Yeah, look yeah. like you know little side notes at this point. This is this was a big, and unfortunately, as you all know, in this um, social media age, this kind of of video of 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 a man hitting another man, a black man hitting another black man. This is sticky. This stays around. This doesn't go away. I was sitting in Panera Bread 
uh, where I often do work in the evenings. It's my office away from home. And I'm there watching the Oscars and working away. And nobody else, of course, was watching their TV or paying attention to the Oscars. Literally within seconds, every single employee knew about it, was watching the video, and was sharing it and showing it to others and having an opinion about it as well. Unbelievable. Well, it's interesting if you're on Twitter, um, the speculation that surrounds it, um, the the different points of view that people have was was he was Will Smith justified? Uh, you know, if Chris Rock really did insult his wife, was he was he was it okay for him to hit another man? It's a, it's an no. interesting question. Spo- spoiler it's, alert: No, you're not. It's called assault. <laughs> And um, the Academy is having to deal with it because they were there, they saw what happened, and they had an opportunity to do what some people would say was the right thing, which was to remove him from the premises. They did not do that. And they allowed him to go up and amid considerable cheers, applause, and only a few jeers and a standing ovation pick up his Oscar. And we, of course, we're talking about Will Smith there. And there, there, there was some talk about, uh, you know, do you read Matt Bellany? I do. And what did you think? So Matt Bellany, former, uh, I guess, executive editor of The Hollywood Reporter and now a columnist at Puck, uh, was talking about, you know, you know, what do you do if all of a sudden everybody else says, well, I'm going to stand with Will and what gets up and walks out? because they're escorting Will Smith. I don't think that would have happened. I don't think the idea of them removing him from the room was not going to happen unless they thought him as an, as an active threat. And I think that would have made the situation worse. I don't know what the right thing to do was for the Academy, but I don't think that was an even remote possibility. What's fascinating is to read all the accounts after the fact of, of what was going on. They were holed up in a, in a green room backstage uh, deliberating on the one hand, the Academy uh, executives, Don Hudson and and David Rubin, who I don't envy. And (laughs) um, down on the floor, uh, Denzel Washington, Tyler Perry, they were talking to Will Smith, they were trying to to help uh, give him the right advice. His publicist was in and out of the green room and back there. I knew this is what, I knew he was sitting there needing to figure out what his acceptance speech would be. And that's what everybody knew, that he would be back within a few minutes to give his acceptance speech. And he did. And it was a hell of a doozy. Not what I would have wanted to hear. It, it's so fascinating because finally yesterday, uh, the actual crisis PR team came on board and wrote the apology that he should have given on Oscar night the, with every beat exactly in the right place. But it doesn't read like it's genuine. It doesn't read like it comes from Will Smith. It comes from a crisis PR firm. David Wilde, who writes the, uh, he's the head writer for the Grammys, said, uh, he's always sending out very funny tweets. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should be. Oh, I'll but, write it uh, down. Uh, Wild, at Wild About Music is his, uh, is his handle. And he said, uh, he said, I have been told that I am very sorry. Like that was his. <laughs> well, of course, what happened on Oscar night was that he apologized to the Academy um, and, and, and to the audience, but he did not apologize to Chris Rock, who is the person that he smacked. It was terrible. There was a headline at the New York Post 
best smacker. You know, oh. it was bad. They went wild. They had a great well, time I- with it. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, certainly uh, Michael and I had a a bit of a debate about, do you bring this, uh, is this what you focus on? Um, Because there are a lot of other things to talk about, which we will be. So, Well, no, you have to if it's the next night or the next day. We're talking about two days afterwards. (laughs) Right. I mean, so, but at the same time, I am being called by people who I have not heard from in years. I'm being uh, texted by people who I don't, didn't even think watched the Oscars, and they probably didn't, by the way. Uh, and yet, all of these people are—they have an opinion about it, as you said, Michael. They—they—they they, they all. It's obviously something that it was so shocking to see, and I was sitting there with my daughter, who just she looked at me, and even she—she's 17 years old. She said, "This." will haunt him for the rest of his life. She it's said him, that it's going to define with, him for the rest of his life. And if she you said think that about, within four minutes, she got it. If you think about um, how did Will Smith get to that place, right? How did he get there? He got there after 30 years or however many longer decades of, of careful planning and, and extraordinary hardship and, and an exacting talent. And he was a major movie star around the world, one of the $20 million guys, uh, you know, bankable. And then you think, you know, what was going on behind, you know, this is what we were all doing, right? What was going on with his marriage? Was there a reference earlier in the evening to the fact that maybe Jada gives yes. him permission? Re- Regina Hall, they, they have an you open know, marriage. They have that an they've... open marriage, right. right? And then what does that do to his sense of um, self-worth and, and his own masculinity? Uh, was, he, was he suddenly snapping out of, out of, you know, these are the things we think about in this situation. Is, is this toxic masculinity? The the, pe- the speech he gave was about justifying on some level Absolutely. his role as a protector, you know, the protector of the people on his movie. Uh, he was a river to his people. What kind of narcissism is that? Uh, well, Anjanou Ellis is a 53-year-old grown woman. She doesn't need him to protect her. She's and an Emmy nominee, better, an Oscar nominee. And better actor than, than he is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, no, that was the Messiah complex there. Uh, what I found interesting in that speech, two things. One, he justified it by talking about the movie. Well, in fact, the message of Richard Williams to his daughters, and he condemned the violence today, he said, unless it's in self-defense, we don't condemn violence in any way. That was a statement released by his family. Uh, you know, the message to his daughters was constantly, you are not allowed to lash out. You're not allowed to act up. You're going to have to be better than them because you are representing your people. And they have done that beautifully for 30 years. Their behavior has been impeccable as tennis stars in the spotlight as much as Will Smith has been for decades. And the reaction shot to them was of Mm -hmm. two people who were horrified. Yes. And, and, you know, went counter to everything the movie was saying that they needed to do and should do. The other thing was he said, in this business, we have to put up with this stuff, you know, these insults. And I'm That's like, right. you know what? In this life, people have to put up with stuff. Women get harassed. Transgender people walk into a grocery store and people say, freak, or what are you? Uh, gay people get harassed. They get threatened with violence. People deal with it every day. They don't also get the benefits of living like a god and having showered with admiration and joy and respect like will smith is 99.9 percent of the time so everyone has to deal with humiliations at some points and the answer is never violence so it's not because you're a movie star that you have to deal with people being disrespectful everyone does and the answer is not to attack them 
but he had created an image and he had created a persona which was beloved and and um, esteemed and admired a role model for uh, millions of people and he destroyed it in a moment does one mistake destroy it or can I, he uh, i mean you know I believe so i think you said it before i think this is what sticks I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Oscars in general and in, in whether they're relevant anymore and the ceremony itself. And, you know, they cut these awards, these eight awards. And to, to get a, a three-hour show, it goes to three hours and 40 minutes. It, it's, it, it's just – and you kind of look at it, and, and the whole thing seems to be exactly what you just said, and a carefully crafted uh, show uh, that – deep down underneath is a complete mess. And that is correct. Under the hood, the Oscars are a mess. And and I've been thinking, <laughs> you know, this is what I do. This is my job. I worry about this all the time. And I, I keep trying to figure out, because these are all smart people. These are not stupid people. There's, there is a construct here, which is that ABC has a deal, you know, um, until 2028 with the Oscars to pay them hundreds of millions of dollars every year. I think it's a billion dollar deal that they have for over X number of years. I think it was a 10 year thing. And, and the, and they, they actually have to, uh, deliver, uh, an audience. And even when they under deliver, I mean, last year they had to pay them back some of the money because of the pandemic. And it was such a bad year with only 10 million um, uh, viewers. This time they're up, what, 56%? Six, 16 million people, the second lowest Oscars of all time. Exactly. <laughs> which is good, which is better. Yeah. You know, we're making yeah. progress. There's nowhere to go but up. But but the math and the the partnership there between the the network and the Oscars is is it's it's set in 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 it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be you know in sync, and it's not working anymore. And and they've become. Here's I ask you both of you what what how bad was the show? How bad without it was uh, it was tip, it was typically bad. I thought and yes, I didn't think it I was agree. particularly worse or better. It certainly wasn't better, but it was. You over through how many hours? Forty minutes over, even without eight categories getting their full panoply. My God! But I thought the you know there was stuff to criticize and stuff that didn't work and all that. As usual, it's I don't. We always the go after them, don't we? We yeah, always yeah. do. That, that that said, I think you know. Starting with, um, I would have started with we don't talk about Bruno, but that's another story. Because kids, because kids are going to bed. Exactly. Yeah, because kids are going to bed. <laughs> exactly. Point. That was the best number, also, wasn't oh, it? Oh, by far, by far. Even though it wasn't nominated, if I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't. It was not I don't mind that. I mean, if no. Encanto gets two two songs, so what? Yeah. You know, both of them were beautiful. I thought the folk song was beautiful too. I, not, I thought it was would the win. Best thing I, on the show. Adam Blackstone delivered. That guy, mm -hmm. Will Packer hired that guy. He really, the music was great across the board. Inside the house, they had a DJ doing the music. That was the music that you got in between. Yeah. There was a guy Stairs. at the Academy, uh, the Governor's Ball. They had great music all night for what it's worth. But now inside the room, uh, you were there for quite a while because I started seeing your tweets uh, very early. You were there. Four hours and 40 minutes. Everybody who experienced the Oscars was really weary because they had gone from 4 p.m. And the place was full. 
But you had to be there there before that. What time did you have to arrive? Everyone was there for the first hour. And then you got to see all of those awards awarded again. And I looked at it again. I came back. And by the way, the ratings on ABC.com must be very good because everybody's catching up with the Oscars. Uh, So I wanted to see what it looked like at home. And it was really, um, I thought it worked. I didn't have a problem with the way they edited in the uh, crafts. What did you guys think? It wasn't worth the Michigas. No, it wasn't. And I thought the first one was very jarring because I didn't know, I, I had forgotten which ones. I was like, wait, is, I think this is one of the ones. And it, it was just- sound. Yeah, and it and it it was jarring because they literally cut to the people on stage. And it was and like could, that. Yeah. yeah. And I think they figured out that they need to, okay, we need to actually go back. We don't need to see them walk all the way up to the stage, but we do need to see them step onto the stage. So they moved it back maybe five seconds to where they are stepping onto the stage. And that actually helped quite a bit. I but I, it I, fine, you know, and they got, uh, they got the whole nominees on, they got the, the speech, um, you know, and, not, and then, uh, edited, edited down. They didn't do all, like, I thought they would say, look, the costume speech was great. It was funny. It was witty. It was clever. They should have shown that in full. If you've got a good speech, if someone's flanking their agent, then you can give them the five second speech edit. But no, when ben they found Proudfoot one of the eight, that- got his moment. Riz Ahmed got his moment. You know, it, it was the costumes were actually on the show and the visual effects. But yeah, so so they knew that Dune would be the big the big winner. You know, Hans Zimmer didn't show up, right? right. And there was you know, Dune dominated the night. It got six awards. I was so pleased. I called that particular one. Did you think that Dune would win? No, there'd be more excitement if you were watching the show and you want people to tune in for the big spectacles. Well, guess what? Dune got six awards and you have big movie stars handing them awards. Instead, you rush through it. Instead of having that building excitement watching Dune win awards, you lost all that. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with it. It wasn't worth the Michigas. And what's going to happen next, as you guys go back probably to know, is there's going to be a big board meeting and they're going to get together. I spoke to Spielberg at the event he wasn't going to comment on how the edited version played, but he would say that there's going to be a big board meeting and the governors are going to get together. Now, if they had put the whole question of the categories to the governors, they would have definitely voted it down because they're representing their branches. There's 17 yeah. branches. There's 53 governors. There's They're going to each of them represent what their branches would want and all those crafts would vote. Vote against it, and they're going to vote against it next time. So I suspect we're not going to see that happen again. I do you think the- that a part of this was just Don Hudson going, "Okay, ABC, you want to do this? You think we need to change? No, watch this. They didn't we'll sabotage. Change. No, no, no. They did the best show they could. They did not say let's sabotage ourselves to sh- make that. a point. They did the best show they could, but she's also on her way out, so she has nothing to lose. Uh, you're both <laughs> right." Away. <laughs> but uh, I thought the idea of doing tributes to movies from the past, you know, the 50th anniversary of this, the 30th, great, wonderful. And they did a terrible job on literally all of them. A I terrible the job. Thing again, right? It didn't oh my play God. in the past. I can tell you it went by. They, here's the thing. They were rushing. They were right. rushing. They're always the rushing. <laughs> they were always rushing and they missed so many things. They rushed through the Godfather thing. They had those three legends on the stage. And they didn't even give them a second to talk. 
Right. No, they uh, gave no. they gave that. Uh, what was it? Sean Combs, P Diddy, Sean, whatever he's called. Yeah, Sean P Diddy. Right. He they, got to talk about all, family. <laughs> yeah. First of all, what is he doing introducing that? Out of all the people, I'm like, how does this relate? You weren't even. You were like my age when that movie came out. You were you were like a baby, and so how how are you? It just the whole thing didn't make sense. And then you're right. Then they got him up there, and. You, you had Francis Coppola, Robert De Niro, who I don't think said a word. Al Pacino, no. who I don't think said a word. No, he wasn't and Francis Coppola. Coppola. He wasn't in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, some of the most famous music of all time, instantly recognizable to every man in the world. And they put a hip hop beat to it because God forbid we listen to the music of the movie. They, you know, they have to give a Sean Combs spin on it. And it was absurd. Same thing with uh, James Bond. Let's get some sp- athletes to introduce James Bond. Okay. I, I asked. No. I asked around about that I, I objected to it too in in theory but even i sort of have a soft spot you know for sean white <laughs> no not when you're not when you're doing a tribute to james bond get every bond alive there's four living I know, bonds I, I mean first of all most they didn't try <laughs> no there's there's four living bonds right there's four there's daniel craig right i wonder there's, why they couldn't get them there's the brosnan right. I'm sure yeah. Sean Connery might have been too frail, but certainly Sean Daniel, Connery um, is no longer alive. Oh, he's well, he's dead. It was <laughs> Daniel Craig, J- Pierce Brosnan, um, uh, uh, Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig. That's three right there. The, the, Roger those, Moore. Ro- Roger Moore. George uh, I, I think right. he's dead. He's dead. He right? is dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's dead. Yeah. Right. So we have four living Bonds that could have stood on stage. That's how you do a tribute to James Bond, not athletes. Then, why would you give us a, a quickie sizzle reel? And they did these cuts in that sizzle reel, which really bugged me. It was like, I love that line. Like everyone on the planet, I love that line. He's going, Are you, what, what are you? Are you Do expecting you, me to tell the truth now? He's like, no, I'm expecting right. you and to die. Goes, I expect you to die. <laughs> and then he cuts to something else. Each each time there was a villain, they cut to the wrong bond. They would do right. that. And I was really unhappy with that. It was bad. Yes. No. And, and white man can't jump. At least they could have had them introduce the you know documentary short anticipating it might be a basketball theme to win smart. that would have been smart and even if, if it didn't work it would be a half hour <laughs> right first hour. but that's where white men can't jump to, deserves to be when they're talking about the oscars the 30th anniversary i don't really understand why they were honoring that particular movie of and i had not. to assume that that they thought there was enough uh, affection for wesley snipes and and woody harrelson there's a remake in the works they and, just cast and, an actor. Perez, you know, they, they were there. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, the bit, actually, at the end of that bit, Harrelson was funny. He said he he'd spoken more than he'd ever spoken the three times he attended the Oscars because he was only nominated. And this he'd never, <laughs> it's all about being a presenter. <laughs> Why were Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya not presenting? Right, exactly. Well, he they won the there, Oscars. But they weren't presenting. What put he won together? the Oscars. I mean, he got a bit. He got the bit with Regina Hall, which I admit I laughed at, where they got all the hunky men on stage. Yeah, you know, I there was uh, my my kids, my 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 daughters were waiting. They they would ask me every other day, "Hey, have the presenters for the Oscars been announced yet?" First, they had to figure out that the Oscars were for movies, the Tonys were for the and the Emmys. That no, Euphoria could not be nominated because it wasn't a movie. So, like once I explained that, they wanted to know every other day: Is Zendaya going to be presenting? Is Zendaya and 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 uh, you know 
Timothy Chalamet or any of these ki- are they going to be presenting? Is uh, Tom the the the, the Spider Man guy? Holland. Uh, Tom Holland they is he going to be there Tom with Zendaya? Tom Holland and Zendaya, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they all wanted that, and yeah. I was like, okay, it, these guys are missing the boat on that. And well, they I, must have negotiated and tried. I mean, they got them to show up at least, so they were on the red carpet and they were they were in the house. But uh, that was and definitely no shirt. a opportunity. And no shirt. He was gorgeous. <laughs> and so know, was Kristen Stewart. They, they both had no shirt. <laughs> but we, but we, wow. We really should focus on the big winner of the night. Unexpected, but great to see Zack Snyder. The big winner yes. of the night. Winning the fan That's award great. and winning the fan cheery moment award. I mean, what insanity. <laughs> In the house, I have to say. That stuff went by really fast. Again, they sped through it. And I was unclear as to what it really was. Like first mm-hmm. there were five scenes. Then there was the, was that it? Was that the Twitter moment? And then there was another one. And it, and which one won? It wasn't clear at all. I, and it went by like the wind. What a well, waste. They, were, they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed. It was ridiculous. Zack Snyder swept the audience awards. He's well, not only that, but all of those were actually. streaming movies. Every yeah. single one of those. I was like, except on the Oscars. one. Dream Girls is not a streaming movie. Well, one, one, except for like one or two of the movies, most of those were streaming movies. Now, of course, Cinderella it's a pandemic. Cinderella was a streaming movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cinder- and of course, then they had, uh, they won't let them star in a movie, but they have uh, a, like a good 15 seconds of Johnny Depp. So, Army of the Dead was a movie and shown in theaters. Justice League, one version was fans, shown in theaters. The These- fans united for Johnny. Yeah, wow. Yes. Well, he didn't win. He didn't make it. So there you go. And in memoriam, I thought it was a reasonable attempt. Don't do it again. Again, as okay. always, you distract. Okay, of of yeah. all of my friends, I'm sure the same is true of you. That's what they complained about. The mo- they were confused. But here's mm-hmm. the point: you are hiring someone. I'm not. I'm not trying to to uh, lay into Will Packer. I think he worked really hard. He did a lot of good things right. The show moved along. I think without Will Smith, it would have been considered a a relatively smooth smooth occasion. Um, but but in the end, they're relearning it each time when you have these people coming in new, and and you make rookie mistakes. I was listening to Bruce Valanche. Remember the the. Right. There for 20 years doing the Oscars. Yeah. Patton Oswalt may have had the, the, he may have won Oscar night by saying he tweeted out right at, right. And the the, the award show was still going on. He actually tweeted out the comedian Patton Oswalt, Bruce Valange, do something. And I I know exactly, exactly. So he he did a a podcast, uh, uh, the, on the, the amp, the ankler. Right. So I yeah. listened to this thing and it was so fun. He's hilarious, but he really pointed out that they just come back and make rookie mistakes each time. Because and they're Gil rookies. Gil Cates did it for 14 years. Those were the years we remember. Those were the great years because he knew what to do. These, and I keep a couple times they've had producers who were good and they had them come back. I think mm-hmm. they had Zayden and Marin. Maybe yes. three times. Um, if you if they could go back to somebody Lock who's someone done in. It and get them to return, they really should. They need a TV person and lock them in rather than thinking they have to get Hollywood people. Just lock them in for they like this is your gig. on getting movie producers each time. Right. It's a big mistake because they're distracted. Well, you know, we made a lot of history. 
a movie about uh, deaf people, won Best Picture, uh, deaf supporting actor, the first man to win a, an acting prize who's deaf, uh, a, a queer woman of color, uh, a female director for the third time in history, and the first woman to win twice. Two women have won it in a row. Uh, a, a lot of interesting uh, knocking down of barriers was happening. And you know, the Academy wanted that to be the story of the night, and they wanted it to be uplifting, and they wanted it to be um, inspirational. This is, you know, and that's, they could have had all of that without Will Smith. Sundance, uh, first time they've ever had a best picture. Sundance got both Coda and Summer of Soul, mm -hmm. um, which is wonderful, fantastic. And Summer of now, Soul, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but um, Questlove, one of the reasons I think everyone loved the movie and it was really good, but they also loved Questlove, you yeah. know, it, it, he was clearly, if you saw him in a room, a very popular figure. And I enjoyed talking to him when I did. He went back on F Jimmy Fallon uh, last night. And uh, he actually took the, he clutched his Oscar and took it back <laughs> to New York and got interviewed by his boss on the, on the Tonight Show, right? And it was uh, charming, really charming to, to hear him uh, talk about it. I was bummed because my ballot had flea. I just couldn't, I, I almost got, I had a really good ballot and I could have almost gone perfect, but I would never have been perfect because I just felt, I looked at that ballot and I thought flea is there for animated live act, uh, international and documentary. They've got to give it one of them. I just felt, I knew drive my car was going to win. I figured Encanto would win. And that meant, I just thought, I think it's going to beat summer. So, and I saw everybody saying summer. I'm like, no, I think as a voter, I'd see that three times and think, no, I love it. I got to get it. So, oh, he ruined my ballot. So For I, a I long like time, I was convinced that Flea would win documentary, knowing it wouldn't win either of the other two. It was, it was a huge win that it got nominated in all three categories. Yeah. That was its win. Yeah, First no, time that ever happened. Absolutely. It was a win for sure. But uh, still, I'm angry. I got that wrong. And, and <laughs> the, the song from Encanto, I thought that would win. And I thought, uh, 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 well, I didn't really know, but animated short, I went with the Ardman short, Robin Robin, rather than a lot of people. That was the front runner. So you were in the you were in the right was, there. Yeah, oh I, well. did, I made a mistake. Uh, I'm not going to make again. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I was sort of catching up with the shorts in well, a hot bad year. kind of yeah. catch, catch can kind of way, except for the doc shorts. I went to see them in, in the theater which I was glad I did because I knew how long they were. And it That's a long me. afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even see all of them. I think I saw three of them and then I caught up with the others, but the, um, I watched the windshield wiper, the one that won mm -hmm. on my iPhone. That was a mistake. Oh. <laughs> it was beautiful. I could, I could tell, but I think that was a mistake. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, I, no, I thought, Coda, yeah. <laughs> Coded to me. I mean, that should have been the, the talk of the evening, uh, but I saw that film, as I'm sure you did too, and uh, during Sundance, and it was the first film of Sundance, the, the virtual Sundance, and I remember thinking, you know, my daughters walked into the room while it was ending, and they said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm watching this year's Sundance winner, because I just could not imagine another film just coming in and, and moving people that much. And so, so when, when it was not nominated for Best Picture, I thought, you know, nobody's talking about it now, and I have been talking about this film since Sundance last year, so much so that movie theater operators booked it. The movie theater operators I talked to wound up booking it 
because I talked about it so much. Now, mind you, they're small operators. It didn't make a mint. Uh, it made a mint for them. What they would consider, you know, a, it had a very good run for them. Oh, but it's been hard up for product, and I know they were clamoring for the winner, uh, and they changed their mind. And they were going to stay. Initially, they said they wouldn't book it. Uh, after the Oscars, and they changed their mind. So now it's going to go out and get get a theatrical release as it should. Oh my God! It's the Oscars for Christ's sake! What is the point of the Oscars? It's supposed to be promoting these movies in theaters. That's the whole idea. You know? I mean, it did play in theaters. It it's played a streamer, as a matter of, but but streamer. Yeah, everybody will talk about the fact that oh, it's an Apple TV Plus. They paid twenty five million dollars for it. And when I heard Power of the Dog is going to win, Power of the Dog is going to win, best picture, and it's definitely going to, and I thought, I watched Power of the Dog and I thought, really? I, 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 yes, it was a very well-made movie, a very good movie, no matter what Sam Elliott says. Uh, but at the same time- He represented thought, a certain part of the Academy right there. Okay, good point. Uh, but I also looked at it and went, as great as it is, it's almost so surgical in its execution that, and so- and they kind of pointed this out, the the three comedians, that it was so, I, I don't know what the right word is, but Coda moved. It wasn't more than two hours long. There were a few movies up there that were longer than The Power of the Dog, but they felt like it felt long. And here's, you're making the right point. The point is that you can't have a Best Picture winner unless the mainstream voters in the Academy vote for your movie. And Parasite right. was mainstream. It was. It was entertaining and it yeah. was a genre film. So people keep saying Parasite, Parasite, like Drive My Car was an art film. There was no way Drive My Car was going to win Best Picture. Right. But The Power of the Dog, you and I both were skeptical. I believed all along that something would catch up with it, even with 12 nominations, because I knew that the crafts loved it and the international voters. But what was the mainstream contender going to be? And it could have been Belfast and it could have been King Richard and it could have been Coda. And it turned out to be Coda. In the end. And in the end, uh, well, people will remember what won Best Picture last year? Uh, will Smith. They'll remember Will Smith. And <laughs> the, peop the people who think, oh, this is going to define him. It's going to hold him back. He's going to pay consequences. We, Hollywood has a history of watching people be abusive and rewarding them when they or looking the other way because they make them money. So Will Smith did what he did, and then people gave him a standing ovation, and then he went to the after party, and everybody applauded and he hugged him. He was videotaped and, dancing at the yeah, after party. Yeah, and hugged by Trevor Noah and all, all the celebrity friends, all hugging him and comforting him and treating him like a hero. And whatever some people think, other people will think, yeah, it's right, he stood up for his wife, damn right. And they're just going to go, yeah, cool for him. I don't think this is going to hold him back long term. He'll go on an apology tour and be just fine. I'm not so sure. I think the Academy has real bylaws that they have to. Well, they uh, can do whatever. I'm saying his career as a movie star. He, yeah, like maybe he can't come back next year. Francis didn't show up this year, by the way. Francis McDormand. Right. But who cares if he didn't, doesn't come back to the Oscar? I'm saying it won't hurt his career. You're it may suspend him, suspend him for six months. I wonder why Francis McDormand wasn't there. That's a good question. Yeah. Well, oh, well. A question I have is, uh, you know, what would have been, again, the talk besides Coda is the fact, and you mentioned it, first streamer to win. Uh, a, and it wasn't Netflix. And it wasn't Netflix. I, and it was like every, anyone but Netflix, but I don't think anybody expected it to be another streamer. 
Um, and well, I think what ha- has happened, and you're in a better position to confirm this, actually, because you know very well how the theaters feel about about Netflix. Even though, in many ways, Netflix is more theater friendly than some of the studios are at this point. If you really <laughs> look at it, um, absolutely, the studios are bending over backwards to give product to the streaming uh, sides of their company. You know, they're they're not taking care of the theaters, but Netflix is. There's a residual feeling that Netflix, especially among the the executives who are at the studios or who are involved right. in theatrical distribution, that the Netflix Netflix is somehow the enemy and is an existential threat to them. I would say their own studios are an existential threat to theaters at this point. Which they have learned over the past two years. Do they really understand that? Do they? Uh, very much so. I mean, I think uh, th- they've learned that they're basically out there on their own. That yes, that's, it's a it's a business. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we're not and, pals. Uh, if I can make more money doing this, I will do this. Exactly right. <laughs> what but do you, Netflix I mean? But still considered the enemy in a way that Apple TV is not. But when you're on top, you're always you know you're uh, people are always trying to take you down a peg or two. But that's when uh, the devil comes for you, Sperling. That's when the <laughs> devil comes for you. <laughs> Listen, Denzel. Um, uh, but did you, you did you run into Ted Sarandos or any of the? the, the they were happy. That. He was very unhappy. Oh yeah. Campion was happy because she won an Oscar. Ted had twenty seven nominations. That it, think about. Here's the. This is the thing I took away that I keep thinking about. Whether it's Will Smith and all the hours he put into grooming his career, you know or every movie that was supposed to be getting attention on Oscar night, all the people who put in all the hours, the people who were really sad at the governor's ball were people like Ronaldo Marcus Green, the director of King Richard, or the producers, mm-hmm. Tim and Trevor White, all the work they put in. They should have been cheering. They should have been so happy. They won an Oscar for King Richard, for Will Smith, or all the people that worked on on all those those Netflix shows <laughs> who didn't, you know, all that work, all that energy, all that money down the tubes for one win. But except no, not down the tubes because they had, per, uh, other than perhaps Dune, they had the most popular film of the year in, in the top 10 of the Oscar nominees. They had Don't Look Up. That's a huge, huge hit. They don't really care. That's nice, but they had hits. They had movies that are seen and people are watching and talking about. So, you know, they got Don't Look Up and an Oscar nomination for that. I think they should feel pretty good. They got the numbers. They got the people turning on Netflix and watching their movie. They didn't get the critics. They didn't get the Oscars, but they got an audience. But you don't, you know, a lot of people are very cynical about the Oscars and they like to say, oh, you know, it was the campaign or it was the money they spent or, you know, you can buy an Oscar. I will argue and I I really feel strongly about this. You can't buy an Oscar. You can buy um, awareness. You can buy everybody looking at your movie. You can buy that kind of feeling of 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 something being a front runner, which I think they did with 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 uh, the power of the dog. But in the end, the people have to like it. Oh, they'd rather have an Oscar winner. But I think as a business, the movies that they had have done really well for them on Netflix, and that's what matters Absolutely the most. Absolutely right. Yeah. Curious if they continue to spend this kind of money in the future. Very curious. Probably. Now, do you think that you know you mentioned? Um, Richard Rushfield's The Ankler, um, which is a newsletter and now, uh, I guess, a media organization. Uh, 
but he said, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I'm paraphrasing. That was the last Oscars ever. And I'm definitely paraphrasing. Uh, the problem with, I mean, I like Richard and, and I enjoy his writing, but it's not, there's a difference between the Ankler and Puck, like Matt Bellany on okay. Puck. That's a reporter. That's a guy who goes out and gets the facts. He's not throwing his opinion, opinion. around. Yeah. Um, I would argue uh, we are not throwing our opinions around. We're basing our feelings. And I mean, our, we're saying things that are based on, on observation and, and experience and facts. History and facts. I would yeah. suggest, yeah. But I think um, the angler, Rush, Rushfield, he's really like a blogger. He's, he's someone who's, who's really throwing his opinions around. Well, the reason I, I mentioned it at all is my question for you is, where do the Oscars go from here? Because this is, they, they make another do. show next year. They'll get 10 movie nominees and they'll have, they'll have a, the show I, will be I written for they them. Wouldn't though, Michael, do you think they should go for 10 again? No, oh, uh, ab absolutely. Yeah. Why not? And there's 10 best movies of the year. I think it's easy to understand. It's simple. I don't think there were movies on that list that I thought didn't belong on there as such. Well, what would you take off? Um, well, that's a different question. It, there's a difference between honoring excellence and I'm, I'm, a, I'm happy to honor excellence like drive my car happy or, or nightmare alley. I would bet those were the two that, that didn't quite, meet the standard i bet coda yeah. was pretty far down too based yeah. on how many people actually saw it because people caught up with coda it might not end. have been the winner it might not have been nominated that's a good point that's a good point interesting i don't know i remember this guy bruce davis who was the president of the academy for a few years yeah. he really argued uh against having 10 because he felt that he knew the numbers and he knew they were stretching to, to, and a lot of Academy members told me they were stretching to get to get movies onto that list. As long as it's a question of what's going to be on the Oscar show um, and the Oscar. But I'm going to argue that they should get off of analog network TV and uh, move ooh. on to a different model. Well, oh, why? Give up the money from uh, ABC? You think they could make more money without being on ABC? No. I think they have to understand that they're the Tonys now. They're the BAFTAs now. They're not what, you know, they can't be the same. In other words, they're trying to exist in a universe where movies aren't as important as they used to be in the culture. That's the problem. That's why people aren't tuning in. It isn't about how bad the show is. They keep trying to popularize it and make it um, more palatable to the, the wider audience and try to somehow lure them in to care about movies that they don't care about. And they're never going to be honoring Spider-Man. That's not the point of the Oscars. Well, they honored the Lord of the Rings. They honored Titanic. They can honor big movies again. Uh, Avatar and will be nominated for Best Picture. They, they honor Dune a lot. And yeah. one of the biggest movie stars in the world, Will Smith, won a Best Actor nomination. He did. I mean, he won Best Actor, right? He's one of the big stars in the world. Jessica Stein, that's not, that's, that's an actress that Hollywood people know. She's perhaps, I don't know how you consider her on the level of movie star, but, and they could have had Tom Holland and Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet up there doing their stuff to appeal to people. Uh, I don't know. I think next year you'll see Avatar 2 nominated for Best Picture. There's a big list tomorrow, uh, next year. You're absolutely right. But that, that kind of flows with the, the pandemic as well. So there was basically all. 
I mean, uh, Scorsese. We got Scorsese too. Sorry. Oh, Go ahead. the the the, uh, the 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 killer the, moon, the, the flowers of the killer moon. Yeah. What very good true crime book. Yeah. The, the best meme I saw was one of Andrew Garfield sitting behind uh, Will Smith and he was checking his phone like you saw him like looking at his phone. And I don't know if you saw this meme, but the 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 the, the wording said uh, Andrew Garfield is checking in with uh, Toby Maguire and Tom Holland to see whether uh, Will Smith slapped <laughs> Chris Rock in their dimensions, <laughs> too, which I thought you have to know Spider-Man to under yeah, and Spider-Man three to, or whatever it was uh, to, to No Way Home to understand that joke. But yet it was a a a, a funny joke. Uh, yeah, obviously, they must have wanted all three of them on stage. You know, they must have wanted to have. They tried. Yeah. They tried. Yeah, I'm sure they tried. And, and yeah. They tried to get Steve Martin and Selena Gomez and Martin Short. That would have been great too, you know? Yeah. That would have for, been smart. Uh, Murders in the Building or whatever that show is called. Mm -hmm. Only? Yeah. Is it only like, Murders in the Building? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. James Bond. At the end of James Bond, they killed him. Sorry, it's, it's enough time has passed. But they killed him. And yet they <laughs> said, James Bond will be back. And believe me, the Oscars will be back. Well, and hopefully you'll be back to join us soon. Uh, usually, you I, I have me. I kept you waiting this year, so I apologize <laughs> about that. I, I love doing this. I, you know, I wouldn't miss it for the world. You know, talking to Ann Thompson at the end of the Oscars, at, at the end of the Oscar season, or the day after the Oscars, has become like one of the highlights of my year. It's, it's like Christmas can. <laughs> yeah, Christmas can talking Anne. to Anne after the Oscars. <laughs> you know, it's like it's as good as being there. Although maybe not this year. I gotta say, <laughs> it certainly uh, was quite the ceremony. Oh, I would never want to be there. It's no fun being backstage. Got to be there so many hours early. It's trapped in that room. No fun. No fun to be there. Tonys, Oscars, Emmys, Grammys. Much better off sitting at home. I think. Y That's you know my what? And sitting at home watching TV, which is what a lot of people did. And we have new streaming numbers for you. You, you know, we got Nielsen reports on the Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. Oscar winner Apple. They do cover the streaming that people do in their homes on their smart TVs. It does not cover laptops, phones, etc. And it's US only. But hey, it's the best we got. And we have some news before we get to the streaming numbers. Uh, the news is that YouTube. Remember, they just got out of offering like, you know, new original programming, kind of, sort of, maybe. Now they're back yes. in the game a little bit. They're offering more than 4,000 episodes of TV for free with ads. What's an ad? You know. It's that thing that happens in between like, um, you know, uh, like one piece of the show and the other piece of the show. You know, oh. so like it's it's when all of a sudden there's the Aflac duck talking to me. So it's what we would have if we were more popular. Uh, I'm sorry, you're breaking up. You're breaking up, Michael. So, so they've got episodes of 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 old TV shows like Hell's Kitchen and Heartland, which my sister Leslie loves. Loves Heartland. Uh, anyway, they've got old episodes of those available on YouTube. You just watch them on demand. They've been doing this for a while. They have Legally Blonde and a pile of movies you can watch with ads on demand. So you just say, hey, I want to watch Legally Blonde. You don't have access to a streamer. You want to spend three or four bucks. You click on Legally Blonde. You can watch it on YouTube, and you're just going to see some ads like you would if you were watching it on your local TV station. So everything old is new again. But the thing that struck me here was they have more than 4,000 episodes of TV. 4,000. Wow. That's not very much at all, is it? <laughs> Hell's Kitchen alone has about 2,000, doesn't it? I think so. well, you know, and I was actually in Las Vegas recently with my daughter's soccer team. They went to play some tournament, and at night, all they wanted to do was go to Hell's Kitchen. 
And I thought, first of all, you watch that show? You, you kids are like 17 years old. You're 17-year-old girls. You're watching Hell's Kitchen? But apparently they are, and they all wanted to go. Right. So 10% of those episodes are Hell's Kitchen. They have 314 episodes and counting. So a lot of shows have like 100 episodes. That's old school thinking, but there you go. So basically, you're talking about they have about 40 shows. That's not very much of a thing, but they're like, look, we got 4,000 episodes. So good for them. They're trying to make it sound more exciting, but you know, it's not easy selling ads and we have the TV upfronts are looming. And guess what? Nielsen and Comscore will not be accredited by then for this year. In other words, they're about to, networks are about to sit down with all the major advertisers and say, Hey, buy ads on our show. Trust us. There is literally no official measurement that's been authorized by the industry standard. Uh, and everybody's got tons of new ideas about how to cover TV and what measurement to look at, especially if it's your show on your network. Then NBC is saying, look at the social media engagement. <laughs> but no one knows what to do. As Variety almost said, everyone is spending billions on original content. Can't someone spend millions on a new measurement platform? It's not easy. Nielsen and Comscore are trying to do it, but my God, they've got to figure something out, don't they? How are they going to do upfronts? I don't know. I mean, they're just going to have to take people's word for it, which is, as you say, not a, not, not not ideal. A, not a starter. You, you, know, you know, they're going to have to take their word for it. Uh, we don't talk about ratings. That's what they'll say. They'll sing a song. We don't talk about ratings. That'll be at the upfront. Jimmy Kimmel, he'll sing, we don't talk about ratings. We don't talk about ratings. Because yet again, what was the biggest movie on streaming last week? Uh, what was it, Encanto? Exactly. The biggest movie for 10 weeks in a row, according to Nielsen, for 10 weeks in a row on those streamers that they measure in North America, Encanto was the number one film. That's pretty great. But guess what? It's also they just won the Oscar for Best Animated Film. But it's also the week that Tyler Perry's new movie, uh, Medea Homecoming, debuted on Netflix, and Ryan Reynolds' flick, Free Guy, debuted on Disney+. Plus. They both consumed were consumed by over a billion minutes. And Encanto was still the biggest movie around. That's impressive. Two big new movies came out, high demand for them, all three just a little bit over a billion minutes, but Encanto came out on top. So that's pretty amazing. Whether that will continue next week because of the Oscars, or I think more likely once they've had a full week of viewing, because I don't think Medea and, and Free Guy debuted on, a, you know, on the first day available. So Correct. So that means they'll have a full week of viewing. Those two will probably pass and canto up. But it's a great way to go out on top, especially when you just won the Oscar. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is going to go out on top with just one more season. They're in the fourth season now. They're going to have a fifth and final season. And the ratings grew by almost 50% in its second week, thanks to dropping two more episodes. And finally, they're partying in the afterlife. Do you know the TV show Vikings? My brother Chris liked it. The TV no, series I Vikings. do know it. I haven't seen it, but everybody tells me I have to watch it. It's violent. It's violent. And the sequel to Vikings is called Vikings Valhalla. And it debuted with all eight episodes dropping on February 25th and immediately hit the top 10 overall with almost 800 million minutes of viewing that will only grow. So scroll to all the Vikings. That's what I say. I think, uh, you know, a big week and they've already renewed it for three seasons of there'll be 24 episodes in all eight per season. And they're going to do it for at least three seasons. So it's a, it's a happy day. They found out their roll of the dice paid off pretty well. Now, if it drops off next week and everybody watches the show and says, Oh boy, this is bad. That'll be bad. But I don't think that's going to happen. If it did happen, boy, that would be a big deal. Well, if that's a big deal, I wonder what you think about some of the stories in our next segment, because it is time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. And by stories, we mean story. 
Yeah, I, I realized that as I said stories, I was like, uh, do I mention the fact that we only have the one story? But maybe we could just forget that I said that. In any case, the well, lights- let me, tell, let, me, let me tell you, let me, let me do it and you tell me what you think. The lights are bright okay. on Broadway once again as COVID recedes a little, uh, maybe in the fall, be another one, but let's forget about that. You know what's also bright on Broadway? The stars, Matthew Broderick, Sarah Jessica Parker, Deborah Messing, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Patti LuPone, oh, and Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman in The Music Man. This is fun. For the first time in two years, we can report on the weekly Broadway grosses. For two years, all they've been giving us is like, it's shut down, or well, in all, they made about $30 million, but we won't tell you who made what. And they're releasing all the data going back. So now we can look over and see what was happening during those two years during the pandemic. And guess what? The news is pretty good today. A lot of shows right now are at full capacity. So even with Broadway asking everyone to make like the Phantom of the Opera and Donna Mask, people are flocking back to shows. Leading the pack is The Music Man, grossing more than $3 million. And then Hamilton, still huge at $2.2 million. But that husband and wife team, Broderick and Parker, are no slouches. Their revival of Neil Simon's Plaza Suite has a $550 top ticket price. Only the Music Man is higher at $700. And the lovable duo is sold out. Is it all a big deal or a big whoop, Sperling? It's kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, when you look at, first of all, there's only uh, like 21 different shows in the 40 houses that, uh, the 40 Broadway houses. Right. So there are half the houses, houses are dark. There's always houses that are dark, but yeah, there's a lot of houses dark right now, but more shows are coming out every week. So, you know, they're all rolling right. back up and it's good to see there's big demand for the ones that are there. That Hamilton is still doing well, even though you could go home and watch it on uh, Disney Plus is kind of nice. Uh, of you want to be in the room where it happens. That's right. Uh, now, you have uh, the Music Man grossing more than $3 million for three weeks in a row, which is also, I mean, they've spent $30 million putting that together. That's uh, what and they need. How, when do you see it? I saw it this oh. past weekend. Oh, my goodness. You were yes, in New York? Yes, I went to New York. I saw you three. You're in New York? No, I'm in, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's kind of why. Yeah, I could have said, hey, kiss the street corner for me. All right. <laughs> I don't know, you know, COVID, no. I think oh, maybe, fair enough, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, so I saw three different shows. Confederates, which is a play by Dominique Morisot, which oh. uh, she, she wrote Ruined, uh, and it was phenomenal. She's a really good playwright. I mean, just an unbelievable playwright. Uh, and then I saw a musical, which I saw it in previews. It's a mu musical called Paradise Square. The musical is set in the five points of Manhattan. That's where Gangs of New York was set as well. Uh, so it was set during the 1863 draft riots. Doesn't have a whole lot of memorable tunes. But I will say that Joaquina Kalukongo did a very good job in the lead role. She knocks it out of the park and, and belts that last final song. And people were on their feet yelling for an encore and she of course did not give them that but uh you but know it that's was the show from garth Dobrinsky, the once reviled you know con man slash showman who uh you know cr crashed and burned with all his financial shenanigans over the years but also made a lot of big broadway shows happen this is a big return to broadway uh the buzz is not good no it's it's not very good and you know the music man got mixed reviews when it, it did when it and uh i could see why I can definitely see why it's almost a paint by numbers musical. Uh, and, you know, certainly look, it's Hugh Jackman 
and Sutton Foster. I bought the tickets two years ago, almost <laughs> to the day. I mean, that's how long Did you have I had fun? to wait. Were you happy with it? Would you recommend it yeah. to someone? It was definitely, uh, it was a lot of fun, but the number of times they broke character halfway, like at one point Sutton Foster pushes. Yeah. There was like one moment where specifically that I'm thinking of where he, she pushes him like, and she's supposed to push him, but I guess he kind of stumbled a little bit because he wasn't expecting uh, that kind of hard push. And he kind of was like, Oh, you're so, you're so strong. (laughs) They're like making the, you know, he man. Uh, And she just started laughing and she couldn't stop. And so (laughs) that's fun. But the whole audience was with her, and then she kind of snapped back into character. And then, you know, they're doing the Broadway Cares. Uh, right. the, a little chat the, afterwards where they raise money for charity, yep. And they did a huge, uh, they raised $12,000 with this little, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the auction. A little auction they did, yes. Cool. Yeah, I mean, look, he's very talented. She is an adorable, uh, Sutton Foster. Mm. And it's it's good you know i can see why people were upset back in 1957 58 there's they say that uh the music man famous or infamously won best musical over west side story so i could see why you know west side story kind of you know it's a heftier heftier show music uh, man was a new show but it already felt old-fashioned you know it already felt like you know yes old school exactly. even when it was new that's for sure yes and and i kind of felt that while watching i was like okay you know, this is like a, you can see why it's a revival. It is a revival, definitely. And, uh, but you were happy. And would you recommend, uh, you would obviously recommend uh, the Dominique Morisot show? Absolutely. It was really good. I think they extended it an extra week. It's off Broadway. And uh, I would say, you know, if I, for instance, worked at the Geffen or if I worked at the Kirk Douglas Theater or the Center Theater Group here in Los Angeles, I would walk out of that, get on the phone and immediately call my programmers and say, get me this show. because it was that good the uh yeah you know robert preston he was pretty winning in the original production of the music man so it's uh it's it's uh, and they're all a bunch of kids in west side story i guess and it was a little radical you know it was dark it was now it just seems like a uh you know a fun retelling of romeo and juliet but it was kind of edgy at the time violence and uh, you know people of color on stage and a lot of unknowns so it wasn't certainly the easy comfort food that the music man was to broadway I can see yeah, why and, maybe and, didn't win. And it is definitely, The Music Man is definitely, you know, a, a musical's musical, literally. I mean, they, it's, it's, it's the song and dance show. The number of kids in that show are pretty remarkable as well. There are literally <laughs> kids in that show. That's true. I wish I had the publishing rights to The Music Man, or at least just uh, Trouble in River City, or, or 76 Trombones. You'd make a fortune, a mint. Yeah. Plus, there's that that show at the, the that song at the end of the show that she sings. The name of which is is uh, if I sang it, which I will spare you. Oh, uh, please. <laughs> no, trust me. Uh, we would literally lose listeners. Uh, but it's a very well known song, uh, and I cannot remember the name of it. But that, that Marion sings. Yes, the, Mar- the Marion the librarian sings. Uh, towards the end or till there was you like the Beatles cover the till there was you till there was you I, I can't I would have to uh, go back and right. I don't know okay okay very, very it's getting very confusing I am looking forward to watching the new TV show Pachinko because I like the novel a lot that Korean uh, drama looks like it's very good and uh, you know publishing rights uh, the song at the end of a TV show that you can't remember this is getting confusing a little bit inside baseball I think 
Well, that's a that's good that it is, Michael, because you know what? It is time for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. Now, if you are a musician, this story, and it's really more like stories, really affect you because you should be going to your publisher. You should be going to your agent. You should be going to your record label. You should be making more money. Okay. I don't care how much money you're making unless you're making, you know, gobs of money. Hey, the music industry is making some money. That's right. I mean, last week we reported that the worldwide box office grossed $21 billion in 2021, which sounds bad when you compare it to 2019, but hey, pandemic. And in streaming though, you know, you throw in rental, digital on demand, and you know, all this other home entertainment revenue and the business pulled in over $100 billion. But now it's music's turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, $100 billion, that's real money. Just ask uh, David Zasloff. He'd say, (laughs) Um, in any case, uh, when it comes to music in 2021, recorded music revenue hit $26 billion. Okay, actually, it's like $25.9 billion. But what's $100 million among friends? Just ask David Zaslav. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. So there's a lot of to do here. There's a lot of different numbers. Music business worldwide had some great stuff about breaking down how many artists on Spotify are making uh, more than 10,000, between 10,000 and 50,000, and so on and so forth. Uh, people can make a living. There's, it's getting a little better, but we know it's really, really tough and that the artists and the songwriters are not nearly making as much of a big piece of the pie as they should be. But here's some of the big info from music. This is recorded music revenue. This doesn't include touring and merchandise and things like that. But from recorded music revenue, it's $26 billion. No surprise what dominates streaming, right? Breaking it down, global streaming revenue from Spotify and Amazon Music and all Tidal and all the other stuff, that hit $17 billion alone. So 65% of all recorded music revenue comes from streaming. That is the game that we are playing today. It's not CDs and vinyl. Much as we enjoy that extra billion dollars or whatever you're getting, that's where the money is. And guess what? Paid streaming, that's, that's you know, subscriptions. That generated $12 billion of that $17 billion. That's more than double the $5 billion of 2017. So within four years, we have doubled the amount of money coming, more than doubled the amount of money coming from paid subscription services like Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, Tidal, and so on. So that is still growing by leaps and bounds, though not as many leaps and bounds as they would like. That's, that's pretty good. And overall, how many subscribers are there worldwide? A whole lot of subscribers. That's, well, half a billion. 523 million people have a paid music streaming service. I do. Do you? I have two paid streaming music services, but that's Say only because why? Verizon gave me one for free. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, why, do you can't, why didn't you cancel the other one? Because it's part of a bundle with Apple? Uh, no, because they gave me Apple music for free and I figured, well, okay, I'll try it, but I don't want to lose all my Spotify playlists. So I'm just going to keep both. So you're paying for Spotify. You're, you're sampling Apple, but you're not, you're, you may decide to just cancel Apple once your six month free subscription ends. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Mm -hmm. Wow. The music quality on Apple is really good. Well, now, you know, you can adjust the music quality of your downloads and your streaming on Spotify. Is that at the highest level? Uh, yes, it is at the high, my, on mine. It's at the highest level, but I will tell you that the lossless quality on Apple and the spatial audio really works. And how many albums are do you download or you just stream music? What do you do? Because I, I download I, and I, stream. I do both. 
Yeah, I download because when I'm driving and stuff, that's when I'm mostly, I'm not going to be near a Wi-Fi signal. How many albums can you download at a time if you're using Apple Music's lossless? Like how many can I you fit on your phone? I have not tried. I well, have like, no idea. You like, do you never do more than like five or something or? Uh, yeah, mean, I'll do like, yeah, I'll do more playlists that I'll download than, than anything. Uh-huh. Like how many? Like, oh, I've uh, got some where it's like 19 hours of, of music. So that would be like 19, the equivalent to 19 albums. And you're downloading that onto your phone and you've got room for it on your phone? Yes. Because when it's lossless, usually it's such a big file. That's interesting. Well, we'll have to talk about more of that later. So half a billion people are subscribing. And when we talk about these numbers, they do not include people like you with a free subscription. That You have not been become a paid subscriber yet. No, so there's 500 million people paying to use the service. There's obviously a lot of room to grow. It's 8 billion people on the planet, right? What's reasonable to expect? A billion people? One out of every eight people paying to listen to music? Is that conceivable? I mean, two billion I, people don't have access. They're starving to death, so they're not going to do it. So now you're down to six billion people. I would say that if you could get to a billion to 1.5 to 2 billion people, yeah, look, if 2 billion people can use Facebook, okay, you can definitely- which is free. Which is free. You can definitely get to a billion people paying for music. Well, again, though, it's free. You know, they're, they're only at 2 billion. Uh, so if we get to a billion people, we double the number of people. That would be one out of every six people on the planet who is not desperately, but the, desperately but poor. But the reality is, the reality yeah. is that even if, and this might be where you're headed, I don't know. Uh, if, if you just said it's free, Facebook is free. Well, you know what? So is Spotify, if you're willing to listen to a few ads, so you can get to 2 billion listeners easily. Well, now guess what? There is money in free. In fact, free music streaming, meaning ads supported like, I guess, Pandora and versions of Spotify and others where you get it, but you have ads, that generated of that big $17 billion total, $4.6 billion. So you saw that paid streaming generated $12 billion. That extra $5 billion came basically from free music streaming. Let's put that in quotes. So ad-supported streaming generated $4.6 billion in 2021. So a lot of people on the planet who maybe can't afford even a 2 or $3 monthly fee, but they can listen for free. And that's where a lot of growth is available. Getting people to download Spotify, listen to it with ads, and you can really pump up the uh, that, that revenue. But guess what? That's still already $4.6 billion. Um, so that's that's pretty amazing. That's almost the same amount they're making from physical sales. CD and vinyl hit about $5 billion. It's almost, that's almost uh, 25% of the total, right? $26 billion revenue and $5 billion of it comes from physical sales worldwide. Uh, that's you know, a lot. I, I was... While I was in New York, I went to Chelsea Market and there was like a flea market and I saw uh -huh. all these CDs and I was like, oh man, I should go through the CDs. And I was like, what am I thinking? I, why? I haven't bought a CD in years. <laughs> well, and I really and should. And if you did, it would probably be an indie act. I know you like to support the smaller artists a lot, yeah. especially when, if you love somebody, buying their album from them directly really helps a lot or going to see them in concert. Indie labels and artists, their direct revenue hit $10 billion. Uh, $9.9 .9 billion, but let's call it $10 billion because what's $100 million among friends? You got to ask David Zasloff. I have no idea. <laughs> that's, that's right. No Universal Music Group isn't sweating it, however. UMG is the biggest label. They pulled in $8.2 billion alone. Now, it's a lot of numbers here. Here's one more big one for you. It's the ARPPU. I know you're going to love this. They talk about, you've all right, 
Disney has signed up all these people, but how much money are they making off per user? And that's where you see Disney's making a lot less on Disney Plus than Netflix is making from Netflix. So calculating the average revenue per paid user is very important. And Music Business Worldwide just did the numbers on the back of an album. They said, okay, we got this many people worldwide paying for music. We got this much income. That means we are generating about $23 a year from paid subscribers or $2 a month, $1.96 per month. So people are paying on average who are subscribing about $2 per month. I guess my question is this, Michael, and I would, I'm just going to use myself as an example. Okay. Pre-streaming music. How many albums would I buy in a year? And I would say I'd probably buy around 10. Right. Okay. That's a lot, a lot less than you would spend subscribing Bingo. to the service. And you were probably a fairly high consumer of, of, of recorded music. I spent a ton of money, ridiculous amounts of money. Most people, they might buy three or four albums a year, if that. So you're absolutely right. Uh, they have gotten people who never would have bought an album a month to spend $10 a month on music. And that's a big change, at least in the major countries, in the countries that are uh, uh, really highly developed and have a lot of money, they're really doing it. It's $2 per user worldwide because you have other countries where people are paying a lot less. Uh, but that's right. okay. But let, me, let me add this. Uh -huh. Okay. If you're counting me at $23, you just lost money because I would have given you like, let's say $150 instead of 23. Well, don't worry. They'll raise Well, you're not. You're $10 a month. No, no, you're $10 I mean, per, so you're $120, you're, you're $120 a year. Okay. Right. Well, so that's no, what you're spending a year. You're spending yes, $10 a month. Correct. Yeah. So you're yes. spending $120 a year and you're doing it listening to BTS. I know you love that K-pop band. When you look at the biggest acts and songs and albums, the big act of 2021 was, of course, Sperling's favorite, BTS. The big single of the year was The Weeknd's Save Your Tears. And the big album is Adele's 30. Now, our friend Patrick Von Sikowski at Solo Junkie will be happy to hear that ABBA's new album, Voyage, was number eight. So that's pretty cool. And by the way, South Korea has two acts in the top 10. I knew BTS, but I'd forgotten about 17, which ironically has 13 members. But anyway, they are kind of interesting. They take a big hand in writing and producing and choreographing their own stuff. They are not puppets. That's what they say. And they're very big too. They're one of, one of the biggest acts worldwide. So they have not broken like BTS has yet, but let's keep an eye on them. And let's keep an eye on other areas of growth. Peloton may have its troubles, but Peloton and TikTok and Facebook and others, those areas are growing and they have chipped in another $1.5 billion to the streaming pot. So that's a you know, above what you got from the paid streaming services. So that means streaming is at generating $18.5 billion total. You get, you get 17 billion from global streaming revenue from the subscribers. And then another 1.5 billion from people sitting on their bikes, trying to exercise and listening to a song. So what's the takeaway? There's room to grow in streaming. It's okay not to have people pay because you can generate a lot of money from advertiser supported music streaming services. Uh, it's CDs almost like radio. Go figure. Exactly. CDs are still something. CDs and vinyl are still generating some money. And South Korea is the biggest country in the world. Yeah. Well, 17, uh, or yeah, that 17 is the name of the group. Yeah. Right. I can't, you know, one of my favorite songs that they sing is uh, I Got No Strings. <laughs> well, the funny thing about them is uh, I watched one of their music videos and they wanted to give everybody FaceTime. So it was a rather frantic because you got 13 guys there. Basically, they have three units in 17. They have the hip hop group, 
the vocal group and the dancing group. They call it the performance group. So that's how they break it down. They've got 13 members, three units, and one dream. So that's how they get to the number 17. But uh, trying to fit them all and give them all FaceTime so you can see your favorite member of 17 during a music video when there's 13 of them gets a little frantic. But anyway, <laughs> so that was I thought that was interesting. And, uh, you know, things change all the time. But one thing doesn't change, death and taxes. And unfortunately, it's time for death. Well, you know, uh, I, I know that we're, we're off the Academy Awards, but everybody was kind of faulting Chris Rock for making a joke about G.I. Jane, which is 26 years old. I just made a Pinocchio joke, okay? That movie's from the <laughs> 1940s. Come on, people. Okay, well, you mentioned uh, some of our obituaries, and Scoey Mitchell died at the age of 92. He's a comedian. Uh, well, why don't you tell us how he's well, remembered? He's a he's a groundbreaking actor and producer. Scoey Mitchell died at ninety two, uh, uh, a black man. As a comedian, he appeared on all the big shows as both a performer and a guest. And think of how meaningful that was in the early sixties when he was doing it. From Ed Sullivan to Tonight Show, he was a constant presence as an actor and personality. He logged appearances on everything from Rhoda to The Carol Burnett Show and Lou Grant, as well as countless game shows. He was always an intelligent and witty presence. You can look at clips on YouTube, but you just picture this guy was just all over the place in the 70s, a smart, intelligent, good-looking, charismatic, funny black man. And without being a, you know, goofy sidekick or something like that, he maintained his dignity, but he was very funny, very cool. And he was just all over TV. I remember him as a kid. There he was. You'd see him on Match Game and Hollywood Squares and everything, all the game shows. He would be there all the time. And that really matters. And most notably, he starred in the TV sitcom adaptation of Neil Simon's Barefoot in the Park. That was the first sitcom to star a predominantly black cast in 20 years, the last one being Amos and Andy. So a step up here, though Amos and Andy is complicated. But anyway, he segued into overseeing TV movies and series filled with black talent, both in front and behind the scenes. So his whole career... Uh, he was pushing to get black crew members, black actors, black writers, black directors. And when he had the chance, he made it happen. And that's one reason the show may not have been renewed. They found him sort of a pain in the neck because he kept saying, why can't we have more black crew members? Why can't it? they're like the ratings aren't that good? Go away. And he paid the price for it. He never had as big a career maybe as he deserved. But he produced TV movies. He produced TV shows. None of them were huge hits particularly, but he was a presence and he gave a lot of people their first break. Also dying was Taylor Hawkins, the drummer in the rock band Foo Fighters. He died at the age of 50 in Colombia. Uh, I guess he was touring with the Foo Fighters. They were uh, performing there and then heading on over to Rio for Lollapalooza in Rio. Now, he joined David Grohl's band in, or I guess Dave Grohl, uh, when uh, it was recording their second album. And he was added because Dave Grohl called him and said, hey, uh, Taylor, listen, you're a drummer. I need a drummer. The drummer that we have that did our first album, you know, he no, just no, can't no. cut it. In the <laughs> yeah, well, he did He did the first album and he, they were yeah, going to add a drummer. And he's considered he one of the, the great drummers got, of all time. He recorded the whole first album himself. Yeah. Yes, and all so alone. He, there was no band. Yeah, and so he said, you know, wh who can I get that can do the studio work? And Taylor Hawkins, who was about to go out on, on the road again with Alanis Morissette, was, uh, he said, well, I can do it. I'd love to do it. I want to be in a band. Uh, so that was, you know, the first, he, that was his first, you know, with a group since Grohl recorded, you know, as you said, he recorded the whole first album for Foo Fighters by himself. Grohl was widely considered uh, and still is one of the greatest drummers in rock. So backing him up uh, is... 
is quite, you know, it's saying something. It's got to be daunting. But Hawkins grew in regard with Stuart Copeland saying Hawkins was in the John Bonham School of Drumming. The irony here is that Taylor Hawkins actually used Stuart Copeland as, you know, inspiration along with the drummer for Queen. Little known fact, not that it's a fact, Taylor Hawkins Kids go to my kid's school. I would see him uh, walk in the hallways uh, during, you know, back to school nights. And he was always doing uh, really great charity work uh, for the schools. He was always, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be the drummer in the band. Uh, and so, you know, oh, it, it was shocking because he's 50 years old. Yeah, that's very sad. Very upset. I didn't know you had a connection to him. That's a, that's a shame. Uh, you know, Foo Fighters, big rock band acclaimed. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, you know, God bless him. We, we don't really know what happened. He maybe had some heart attack or something. Uh, uh, it's, it's not clear yet, but it doesn't matter. It's just a sad day. Also a sad day for Seth Willinson. He was a New Line exec. That's how I think of him. He died at 74 and he was all over the place. He's an industry exec. He was at New Line on and off for decades. In fact, Seth Willinson was the second person hired at New Line. He worked in all areas as an indie producer of the film Shiloh and Alison Anders' Gas Food Lodging, among you know studio gigs and all that sort of stuff. He even gave studio topper Jim Giannopoulos his first big break. But Seth Willinson is remembered for one thing. He will be remembered forever for coming up with the idea or making it popular, Midnight Movies. He began with the unintentionally hilarious flick Reefer Madness, which was a movie trying to scare kids straight. But people would watch it and laugh at it because it was so over the top. You take one toke on a marijuana stick and drove into people laughing maniacally with your car. You know, it's just a nutty movie. But he began with that. He continued with Pink Flamingos and, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And movie theaters on the weekends were never the same. Whoever had to sweep up after Rocky Horror at two in the morning, probably not a fan of Seth Willinson, but everyone else was. <laughs> He sounded like a genuinely good guy, but I did not know about this, that somebody had to innovate Midnight Movie. Of course they did. He's probably getting the credit. Have you ever been to a Midnight Movie? Did you ever go see Rocky Horror and throw toast or whatever? I never threw the toast, but I did get hit in the head with toast at a Rocky Horror <laughs> Picture Show Midnight. Does that count? Yes, it does. You're not a virgin anymore. You've been to the Rocky Horror Midnight. There you go. Well done. I'm and pretty sure that's not that. what I learned in health class, but about the toast, that is. I hear you Just, learned a, that we have a voicemail. You've been pleading with a, for people to leave a voicemail for years. We got another one, didn't we? Yes, and I have to apologize to Karen Krasanovich because, you know, I get whenever we, we have uh, a voicemail come in, I get an email and it says, oh, you have a voicemail. And uh, nine times out of 9.99999 times out of 10, it's usually like a fax machine or somebody trying to, you know, renew my auto insurance or some, something silly. So I've taken to, to uh, putting them all in a folder. And if they're, they are of any length beyond like a minute, then I'm like, oh, it must be, must be a, a you know, a total spam. spam. And no. Karen Krasanovich, back in February, sent us uh, oh, a little Oh, Lord. <laughs> he sent us a piece, sent us a voicemail, uh, called us up uh, about how we were talking about whether journalists get asked to provide questions ahead of time for certain interviews. And this is what she had to say. Hey, Sperling and Michael. Hi, it's Karen Krasanovich calling from London. I'm the secretary of the Critic Circle UK film section. Hey, we've got a lot of members. Anyway, I've been a journalist a long, long time. And uh, I was really interested in hearing that you don't think that people should be supplied questions 
Well, these days, um, yeah, you've got to be supplied questions. It doesn't mean that you're going to stick to them. So you give them to whoever you're interviewing, their PR, uh, you give them to them. Generally, people who are interviewing don't really care too much. It's the PR that's nervous. But the years of uh, just sitting alone in a room talking to somebody, you know, those are well and truly gone. But I think it's also fair whenever I go on a, a television show or radio show here, I like to know what the questions are so I can focus and really be sure that I've got the information that they want me to provide. So there you go. But then again, you know, maybe I'm just too old school, but keep up the good work. Really enjoy uh, Showbiz Sandbox. I have to say the music stuff, not so much, but uh, loving the catchphrases. And um, yeah, talk to you soon and keep it going. All right. Well, that was that's interesting. We really appreciate you taking the time to call in. Sorry, Sperling took so long to find it. Don't feel bad. I send him emails and it takes him weeks to respond. <laughs> that is not a joke. So you are not alone, Karen. His family and friends and coworkers all empathize with you over that. Uh, my experience is different here in the U.S. I love the U.K. I love Fleet Street. I'd love to be there. I wouldn't want to write for the Daily Mail, but, you know, it's a great tradition of journalism and, and tabloids and stuff like that. Uh, my experience is different. I know Sperling's experience is different. I've written for, you know, the New York Post, the New York Daily News, the L.A. Times, Entertainment Weekly, Premier, small little outlets for theater magazines, uh, websites, you name it. Uh, I've almost never been asked to provide questions. And when some silly little publicist does, I'm like, yeah, no, we don't do that. Uh, if I worked for the New York Times, I absolutely would not be allowed uh, when doing an entertainment story to offer up questions. In the context where it might happen would be you're doing a, a big story, it's legal, they're refusing to talk to you, but then they say, well, they'll take questions uh, by email to respond to. You might sometimes send them that just to give them a chance to legally respond to some outrageous accusation or or charges of you know stealing office funds or something like that. Then you would give them that chance. Normally, they don't even respond, but at least you might be forced to do that. But in the context of entertainment journalism, we're promoting a movie. No, there's, there's no big scandal or thing going on there. Sometimes people say, hey, they don't really want to talk about their divorce or something that just happened. They're here to talk about this new project you would normally want to make that clear. Say I was going to interview J.K. Rowling. If I was going to do a big profile of her, everything's on the table. If she's just there to promote her new book and that's all my editor wants me to talk about and they don't care about her social media stuff, uh, maybe they would ask for that and maybe we'd say, well, okay, my editor wants that. I would feel obliged to make sure that was in the story saying, you know, no, uh, you know, we, we did not, she asked to not be raised and we agreed to that because we wanted to talk about this. But 99.999% of the time, no one even asks. I got an interview next week with David Sedaris and Kenny Loggins. Uh, their publicists are not asking for the questions. They know what we're going to talk about. It's David Sedaris' new book and Kenny Loggins' new memoir. So, you know, there's no mystery about what we're talking about. And they don't expect the questions. And mostly, if you're at a good outlet with a serious journalistic uh, reputation, uh, they're not going to allow that. You would, you would get in trouble if you provided the questions. That is the case today. For everybody I know in journalism, I'm sure there are people who don't care. I'm sure there are outlets that don't care. But people who are sort of old school, uh, that my feeling is old school people are like, no, you're not getting the questions. But the, I know it's different when you're in the trade journalism world, right? You do, a, you do trade publications, Sperling, and I know it's a little different there, isn't it? Yeah, that much different because you're dealing with public companies and they have to be careful that they, you know, that they don't say certain things that could affect the stock price. Uh, and... 
That's why, you know, when you're going on CNBC, the CNBC journalists know how to navigate that. So they don't even worry about that. But I do wonder, you said, you know, the old timers, I do wonder, because when I was thinking about it, I was trying to think like, who does ask me for these questions? It's usually always public companies, number one, and uh-huh. usually very young publicists. New and publicists. I almost, yeah, <laughs> think I, like, I, why can't I ask for the questions? And why don't you send me the story when it's done so we can see it before you print it? <laughs> yeah. I almost wonder if if it's it's to kind of you know justify their own existence justify their own job because almost oh, yeah. always you you know when i've had to send the questions uh whether it's an email interview or even a, a you know a phone response or getting a response back from a publicist it has always been that when i talked to the actual executive that they never knew what the questions were going to be. Right. So they, have no, they don't know like, or what? care. Exactly. It's like, wait, wait, why did I go through that whole exercise of having to come up with the questions ahead of time? Even though, as Karen says, I almost never stick with them, by the way. Almost never. It's like you ask the first question, and then from there, it's anybody's game. Uh, and I've been told, hey, we can't talk about theatrical windows. That's the big one. You can't talk oh, about theatrical oh, for windows. for the love of God, it's all you want to talk about. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I'll stay away from it because and then they bring point, it up and then they bring it up. And I'm like, wait, what? We, you, you told me not to mention theatrical windows and now you just brought it up, but because Hey, he knew it, nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we really should have Karen on I mean, at some point. She is a, you know, uh, well, a, a, I, I would love to know if it's different for other people in the UK. If you're in the UK media and you have a different experience, let us know. Maybe Karen's that's the way it's done in London these days. I don't know. Uh, don't think it's the way it's done in America um, for for more serious publications, but maybe that's the way. And if, if you can, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call. And leave us a voicemail, and apparently we will eventually play it. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, where our handle is at Showbiz Sandbox. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. And you know what? Uh, so is Ann Thompson. She's on Twitter. We'll place links to her work and her Twitter account in our show notes. I'd like to thank her for joining us today to discuss yesterday's Academy Awards. Uh, now, links to all of the stories we talked about, as well as links to Anne's work, will be found in our show notes on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to contact us, as well as ways to subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, the Google Podcast Directory, Microsoft Marketplace, anywhere they give podcasts away for free is where you can find our show and you can rate and review the show in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so. It helps us out when you do that. Again, all that information on our website, showbizsandbox.com. And uh, you know what? You know who has their own website? MGMT. MGMT, they have their own website. And they actually provide our music at the beginning and end of each show. You can find their website at whoismgmt.com. And Michael Giltz has a website every week. It's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? I was going to go with, in tribute to uh, Will Smith, to imaginepeace.com. Uh, which is a website run by Yoko Ono. But then I, uh, I thought, thanks to our letter, I was going to go to fleetstreet.com. And I thought, fleetstreet.com, does somebody own that? They must. I went to it. Well, it ain't about the UK journalists. It's the Stanford University Fleet Street Singers. It's Stanford's only comedy acapella group. They have about 
as many members as 17. <laughs> They've got about 12, <laughs> 12 people there. They're singing comedy. They're singing. Oh, no, there's another person. I, I didn't scroll down. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. They have like 17. They have 13 in the Fleet Street Singers of Stanford. They're the only comedy acapella group. I believe that. I believe them when they say they're the only comedy acapella group at Stanford. I believe them. And uh, there you go. They're having a reunion show. Oh, my God. It's very exciting. Well, uh, that's kind of cool. So check out Fleet Street or check out ImaginePeace.com. Violence is not the answer. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, well, or you can check out MichaelGiltz.com where all of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on CelluloidJunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Oh, 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 oh,